Welcome to the Stonebridge Extra Podcast with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. This week, Pastor John begins the new series, The Moses Legacy. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Extras. I'm Pastor John, the senior pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. And Stonebridge Extras is a podcast series. We started doing it last year, and we're going to be doing this periodically. What Stonebridge Extras is, is a time for us to go a little bit deeper into the scripture passage for the week at Stonebridge Community Church. This is the moment where the really interesting, technical, theological stuff that just couldn't make it into the sermon because it didn't fit perfectly or it was a rabbit trail. This is where we get to go into that stuff. So we're going to be doing three weeks in Exodus and then we're going to be doing three weeks in Leviticus. And I have to be honest with you all, I'm very excited for Leviticus. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I'm not joking. And I think that by the end of Stonebridge Extras and this sermon series that we'll be doing on it, you will look at it and go, wow, that is really interesting. But we'll see. But before we get into Leviticus, we do have three weeks where we will be focusing on Exodus and looking at some key passages in Exodus. So allow me to just say a prayer for us in this time, and then we're going to be looking at the crossing of the Red Sea. But I'm going to be sharing in this episode of Stonebridge Extras one of the classic Bible theories related to authorship, related to who was the human who wrote this story or these stories, and explaining one of the classic theories on that. And then we're going to come back to the crossing of the Red Sea, and hopefully you understand why I think this theory makes this story so much more interesting. So let me pray for us now. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for this time that we have to just look a little deeper into them and to look at uh, the work of biblical scholarship so that we can understand your word a little better. So speak to us now through your scriptures and, and guide us as we seek to be taught by your scriptures, Lord. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, it's, it's a classic story in scripture, but as it goes along, there will be inevitably, when you read the story, this section that's referred to as either Moses' song or Miriam's song. This occurs in Exodus chapter 15. Um, the actual reference is Exodus 15. It's like one through... 21. And like it says in the Bible, part of it will be called Song of Moses, and then there will be another spot called Song of Miriam a little bit later. So I want to pause real quick, and we are going to come back to this section here. But this was something that I think is fascinating that just wouldn't work in the sermon with the theme, um, and it just requires way too much explanation, so it would take over an entire sermon. So here we are. This is why we do Stonebridge Extras. But one of the classic questions, when people look at what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, one of the classic questions is, who wrote these books? For over a thousand years, well over a thousand years, over 1,500 years, the common assumption was that Moses wrote these books. 
And a lot of people today still hold to the belief that Moses wrote these books. But what happened with that assumption was that it began to be tested a little bit. People started looking closely at these books and realizing that they never actually claim that Moses wrote them beginning to end. That's a claim that's never actually here in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. That was a tradition that developed outside of the Bible. So that was one of the things that people started to notice. Then they also started to notice something else. These books cover Moses' death. So how does Moses write about his own death? And they don't cover it in a way of Moses saying, and then I'm going to die and it's going to look like this. It says Moses died. The book itself adopts a posture of somebody who is not Moses reflecting on how Moses died. How would Moses be writing about his own death? And if he were writing about his own death, why is he doing it in such a tricky way as to present it as though somebody else is writing this? These were questions that started to be raised. And then people, really it started out in, in Germany, in German biblical scholarship, they started looking really closely at the Hebrew texts here and the Hebrew versions of these books. And they noticed some fascinating details about the Hebrew versions of these books. One thing they noticed was that the vocabulary would change all of a sudden. When you were reading Genesis in Hebrew, a word would mean one thing, and then all of a sudden it changes its meaning. And they started to be a little curious about that. They also noticed that the syntax, the, the structure of sentences, the word order, the way words were placed, that changed abruptly and all of a sudden also. And then they started to notice that the style of writing changed. That you would get to a certain section and... All of a sudden, themes would change. The emphases would change. I mean, think about it this way. If you're reading Exodus, Exodus 1 through 20 are really exciting. It's these stories of Moses. It's Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. It's Moses in the desert with the manna. And then you hit Exodus 20, and all of a sudden, things slow down quite a bit. Becomes focused a lot on the different laws. And then even the laws start to change. Some of the laws begin, they focus on human interaction. And then all of a sudden, you have very detailed architectural instructions. Uh, once you hit Leviticus 25 and Leviticus 35. You have all, uh, sorry, Exodus 25 and Exodus 35. You have all these detailed architectural things. And looking at all of this, scholars started to think, maybe it wasn't one person who wrote these books. Maybe there were multiple people who wrote these books. Now, as I say this, you might be one who believes Moses wrote these books, and that is okay. The, the truth is, we don't actually know who wrote these books. So believing that is Moses, you can do that. 
But what you have to do is accept that if Moses wrote these books, then Moses did so using at least four, maybe five or six, very distinct literary styles that use a vocabulary that spans hundreds of years. And then you have to ask yourself the question, why would Moses do that? These differences in these stories, they, they, they are real. And the ways in which these books are written, these are real differences that can't just be ignored. So scholars began developing ideas and thoughts around the four distinct voices that they saw in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They began cutting and pasting and trying to figure out how did this happen? And they came up with what has been called the documentary hypothesis. And again, I present this not to persuade anybody that this is the truth. I present this because it is relevant to how people study the Bible today, how scholars study the Bible today, and because it will enlighten one thing about this Song of Miriam and Song of Moses here in Exodus 15. So the documentary hypothesis, what it basically posits, what it, what it puts forth, the, the, the hypothesis itself states that originally these books were four separate documents, four distinct documents from one another that had a lot of overlapping material, but came from different communities in different times. That's essentially the documentary hypothesis. And then later editors took these four documents and pulled them together into what we have now, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, in the form that we have it. That's a documentary hypothesis. This may push some people's buttons. And again, I'm not saying that you have to embrace this. But one thing I am going to say <clears throat> is that adopting the documentary hypothesis, believing that this was how the Holy Spirit worked, it doesn't mean that somebody believes in Scripture any less than somebody who believes Moses wrote these books. The Holy Spirit is free to develop Scripture in any way the Holy Spirit wants to. And people who adopt the documentary hypothesis who think that this is accurate, they oftentimes believe in Scripture just as much as people who believe that Moses wrote these books. This isn't a central issue. It's not a crisis of faith. This is one theory into how these books developed on the human side of things. But the Holy Spirit guides the human side of things also. So with your idea of inspiration and your doctrine of inspiration, this thesis, this hypothesis, it doesn't have to unravel that. You can still believe the Bible is the word of God and think that something along the lines of the documentary hypothesis are accurate. So that being said now, the scholars divided them into really four classic, uh, they call them authors or schools, and they, they honestly just kind of talk about these um, different sections of these books um, as though it is a person, one person, 
which I think is interesting. So, well, four different people, but you understand what I'm saying. So the first one is what's called the J author. The, the J and the J author has to do with the name of God. This author, the, the J author, uses primarily the name Yahweh for God. And you're wondering why is it J if it's Y, Yahweh? It's because it started in Germany and in German, J's sound like Y's. So just imagine a little, like this actually, Yahweh is where Jehovah comes from. Um, they're, they're the same, just one's a little more Americanized. The, the J, the, the, you know, that Y sound becomes a J sound. That's how that works. So this is the J author. The general idea about the J author is the J author was writing in the southern kingdom of Judah. And the main theme of the J author is that God is close. J would be the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, those kinds of stories of people walking with God are usually J. J is the better storyteller out of these different theories about these different authors in the, in the Pentateuch. The next one is what's called the E author. And this relates to the Hebrew word for God that's used, Elohim. Um, and Elohim is not the name of God in the same way Yahweh is. Elohim is just the Hebrew title for God. And the E author has a certain theology around the name of God. There's more respect given to it. You don't use God's name. So the E author is usually connected with um, the, the burning bush and the revelation of God's name at the burning bush because before that moment, the E author doesn't use Yahweh. It's always the J author that uses Yahweh before that. So, so that's E. And E is thought to be from the northern kingdom of Israel. So there's the J author, there's the E author. The, the third one is what's called the priestly author. And this is the one that is the most distinct and the most obvious to see. In English, you probably can't really tell between E and J, honestly, in English, but you can tell the P author. Because the P author is Leviticus, it's large sections of Numbers, and it's those boring parts in Exodus. The, the P author, it stands for priestly. And these are a group of priests who like precision, who like numbers, who like accuracy. So when you're reading that, the wood needs to be six week, six cubits by four cubits of Akasha wood. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Acacia, Akasha, whatever. They would not be happy with how I mispronounced that, by the way. Um, they are precise. They are exact. And it is really boring reading, honestly. On the surface, it's really boring reading when you get to the P author. This is why people stop reading Leviticus, because it's all of this, here's the sacrificial system, here's the animal you will sacrifice, here's the parts of the body of the animal that you will use, this is what you'll do with the innards, this is what you'll do with the thigh, this is what you'll do with the, it's, you'll, you'll burn it this way, you will use this kind of incense, it's all of that stuff, that's the priestly authors. And you can imagine priests who care about ritual. That's where this comes from. So that's the priestly author. And then D is what's termed the Deuteronomist. That's the person who wrote Deuteronomy. And all of a sudden, when you hit Deuteronomy, the writing style changes and the, the themes again change. There's more of an emphasis in Deuteronomy on um, God's name being 
uh, an actual entity in and of itself. Um, and this is Moses's final speech. So it enters a new chapter of Moses's life. And what's interesting about what's called the D author is the themes from the D author actually carry forward until the end of Second Kings. So this is part of a, a much larger work that's been called the Deuteronomist history in the Bible. Enters into a whole separate theory also. But those are the four, I don't know if you'd call them authors or voices or schools of thought that a lot of scholars have identified in the Pentateuch. And that's a documentary hypothesis that four different documents that emerged from different communities were pulled together to create the Pentateuch. Again, I'm not saying that anybody has to buy this. I'm not saying that it's critical that we all embrace this. I, I think it's just one interesting theory among many other theories. And it does fall apart in certain ways. While you can genu generally identify different themes and different writing styles, when you get down into the details, it's really hard to figure out who wrote what, except for the priestly author. Um, and there's all those sub-schools within that as well. There, there's one theory that there's also an H author, which would be Leviticus 20 to 28 or 27. Um, so it's not a perfect theory. No theory is. And it's not a perfect hypothesis. Now, given all that, I want to bring us back to this story here in Exodus 15 to the Song of Moses and the Song of Miriam that reflects on what God has done at the Red Sea. Because here is one thing that I just think is so cool. I just explained this whole theory to you that has this debate has raged on for over 150 years now. And some of the best minds in biblical scholarship have tried to date when one thing was written and when another thing was written. But what everybody agrees on is that even if you think that these documents were written later, even if you believe in a very late dating of these documents, everyone pretty much agrees that the Song of Moses and the Song of Miriam in, Mo in Exodus 15, reflecting on the Red Sea, this is one of the most ancient texts, not just in the Bible, but in the entire world. This is one of the oldest pieces of writing that we have. This is a piece of writing that breaks through all of those debates about who wrote what and when, and everybody says, this is ancient. In a really interesting, unique way, this is ancient. So what does that mean and why is that so cool? What it means is whatever your theory is on scholarship, there were people thousands of years ago who decided to write down something that they witnessed God do. There were people thousands of years ago who thought that this story of what they believed God had done with the Israelites needed to be told. And that story endured despite all of the development of scripture, despite how often books have been destroyed throughout history, despite the fact that so few people could read, despite all of the dark age periods, 
this story endured. This writing comes down to us now still. And the crossing of the Red Sea, it's one of the most ancient stories the world has ever heard. I think that's amazing. I think that's fascinating. I think that that should give all of us a level of awe when we read this story, when we read this poetry that we see here. I think that should give all of us a level of reverence. And before we would try to just dismiss the crossing of the Red Sea or act like it's just a fable or just a myth, we have to remember that it's one of the most ancient pieces of writing ever and that everybody who has received it and passed it down seemed to believe that it actually did happen, that it actually took place. I think that's cool, beyond cool. I, I think that it kind of floors me at times when I think about that. So I invite you now to, to go back to Exodus 15, Read those first 21 verses and just try to imagine those ancient people writing this down for that first time, putting this down into writing. And then imagine all the people who read it, who found hope in it, who passed it down. And realize that now you're part of that process. You're receiving what they passed along. I mean, if the Holy Spirit's not working in that, uh, the Holy Spirit's working in that, folks. So, give Exodus 15, 1 through 21 a, a second look. I hope you enjoyed this. Looking forward to next week also. Um, God bless you all. And may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.